Listeners, welcome back to the Change Your Filter podcast. I'm your host, Tall Paul. We are powered by Contractor Commerce. This week's guest was a total surprise to me. He was a referral of a listener and also a customer of ours here at Contractor Commerce. He said, you've got to hear this guy's story. You've got to hear what he's up to. And about three quarters of the way through this interview, I realized that the person I was talking to was only 26 years old. And I couldn't let you listen to the first half of this interview without having that into perspective. Maybe I should have asked earlier. I guess you can't really ask about people's age, but I did. But listen to this interview with my friend, Tevin Jackson. Hey, this is Tevin Jackson. You're listening to the Change Your Filter podcast with Tall Paul. Listeners, thank you for joining us on another episode of Change Your Filter. I'm your host, Tall Paul, and I am joined by my new friend, someone that I met, gosh, less than a week ago. But upon meeting him, I knew I wanted to, one, learn more about Tevin Jackson and learn what he's up to, and two, hear and share his story. But what led me to connect with Tevin, it's actually work-related, but I'm obsessed with startups have been my whole career and really was never going to be happy until I was working on startups or with startup founders and and doing those sort of things for my career. So this is a a treat for me to get to talk to Tevin, a new founder in our space who's doing some interesting things with some big names. Um, But without further ado, welcome, Tevin. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Paul. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, my pleasure. So before we jump into your startup and what you're doing. Um, tell us your story. Who is Tevin Jackson? Tevin Jackson is a, is a, is a guy from Lansing, Michigan, born and raised. And, uh, you know, I moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan when I was in eighth grade. My mom was, uh, about to drop triplets in a few months. So, uh, my uncle who actually got me in the trades moved us over near him so he can be some, uh, support for my mother. You know, having triplets is not easy. So, you know, me and my sister being in uh, going in high school, me going in eighth grade, she needed some additional support. So we went over to Grand Rapids, actually East Grand Rapids, home of President Ford. Uh, if you've seen the movie American Pie, the creator of American Pie actually <laughs> went to my high school and he made the movie based on his experience at East Grand Rapids High School. So there's a lot of things in that movie that, you know, relate to my experience in high school, for sure. Oh, well, you've got to give me at least one example here. I didn't see that coming, by the way. So in American Pie, uh, it's a very affluent neighborhood, and that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. East Grand Rapids is a very well-off uh, school and city. Uh, and another thing is they love to party. So in the movie, you can see they love to party, but they they take care of their classes, and you know they do very well as far as graduation rates, but they like to have fun and party. So if there's anything I can say is you could definitely party and still do well in school. You just have to have a happy medium. You know what I mean? I just don't want my son to hear that. I told him it's study or fail. That's it. Well, definitely more studying than partying for sure. (laughs) I'm, I'm joking. So was life much different in the new town versus where you grew up in Lansing? Yeah, Lansing, Michigan is extremely high crime rate. It's one of the worst cities as far as crime rate in the United States. Definitely top five in in Michigan. You got Detroit, Flint, 
and then you probably got Lansing. So, you know, very humbling beginnings. But my uncle actually found a lot of success in the trades uh, around 2006. He started a lead generation platform for demolition contractors and dumpster rental contractors, uh, which he ended up building a mega, mega brand, uh, multi-million dollar business. And my, my mom actually started working for him. My sister started working for him. I was the youngest. So I, you know, was never able to legally work for him, but, you know, I was definitely working for him under the table, you know, learning as much as I can with digital marketing and lead generation. Is this in high school or shortly after? Uh, So I actually started working for him when I was in Lansing, when I was seven, eight years old. He would give me work during the summer, very basic search engine optimization task. But then as I got older, I realized, you know, all the different nuances of search engine optimization you know, having learned from him, but also going out and finding additional resources to learn from. So as I got in high school, you know, as you grow older, you become more wiser. My skills started to really shine. Um, So having that initial seed planted from my uncle when I was so young definitely helped me, um, you know, as I got older. But the biggest change in my life actually came about a, a week after I graduated high school. I came downstairs and I found my mom dead in bed. So, you know, having that shock, right? That immediate shock, you know, it's either make it or break it, right? You're either gonna go over the deep end, get hooked on drugs. You know, my mom was a single parent essentially. So when she when she passed, I was really my rock. But for me, I actually channeled that energy. Uh, I realized that, you know, I now have to be the patriarch for my sister you know, for my triplets, I now have to be that uh, financial backing, you know, so to speak. I I didn't want my external family, my uncle and all them to have to, you know, fork the bill, so to speak. So I channeled that. I made it my fire, my why. And I went out and tried to, you know, turn my life around. So I stopped all the partying, uh, had just graduated high school. So I wasn't going to college. Uh, I knew I wasn't going to go to college. That was never on my plan. Uh, My plan was to do digital marketing and lead generation. So about six months after finding my mom uh, in bed, I actually got a job about a thousand miles away in Orlando, Florida, working for a guy named Frank Gay as his uh, marketing manager, IT manager. I wore a lot of hats there. And this is, you're not even 20 years old at this point. This is shortly after. Yeah, I'm probably 18 and six months. How did you make that connection to a company in Orlando? And, you know, I I assume you had to leave some family behind. Like, what was that transition? Like, what led you to make that big move? Opportunity, man. I was on rock bottom. And the only way up when you're on rock bottom is up. So, you know, I wanted to shake things up. And being from Michigan, if you look at the economy, uh, as far as job offerings, a lot of the jobs were in the South, especially for, you know, search engine optimization the industries that really want search engine optimization are going to be the high ticket industries. And in in Michigan, they're just not getting as high of a ticket as some of the Southern states. So if you look at, you know, the legal niche, the healthcare niche, you know, even the rehab niche, which is one of the largest SEO niches, all of the rehabs primarily are, you know, in tropical states. Same with contractors, you know, some of the highest tickets that contractors get are in the Southern states, 
I know some people say you can get high tickets anywhere, but you know, if you look at some of these Southern states, they're getting high tickets pretty regularly. So I knew that. So when I was looking for a job, I was looking in the Southern states, California, Texas, Arizona, Florida, Georgia. But what really stuck out to me was this ad on Craigslist, uh, which I, I take as a sign for God, from God for two reasons. So my mom was very religious. And when she passed, I said my goodbyes to her. And about six months later, I was scrolling Craigslist from my friend's house. I was crashing at his house for a few weeks and I was, I was scrolling Craigslist and I saw this ad looking for a search engine optimizer. It was an anonymous ad. They didn't say who the company was. And I come to Florida having found out it was Frank Gay, of course, he wanted me. So I, I'm in the interview, he hires me. And about a week later, I had to sign him up for the Google local service. At the time it was called Google Guarantee. And you know we were one of the first companies in Florida to enroll in the program because Frank Gay is the largest household name in Orlando. So Google, when they were rolling out that beta product, they actually called us and the dispatchers transferred it to me and I, I had to sign Frank up. So I needed his social security card. And I remember I was sitting in his office and I asked Frank, hey, I need your social security card to sign you up for the Google program. So he gave it to me and we have the same last four of our social security number. And I literally, I was at a loss for words. <laughs> I hand my social back to Frank and I'm like, Frank, you got to check this out. And you could just see the look on his face. He was so mind blown. He said, you know, your mother sent you here. This is meant to be. And I'm a true believer in that, that, you know, he was, you know, a gift from God. You know, he changed my life. We're talking a mega, mega company, 200 plus employees only in Orlando. So we're talking mega company. And I was, you know, essentially top three as far as, you know, I was helping move the needle and it really changed my life. Having that kind of credibility, I was able to meet people like Ara with Service Titan and Vahi with Service Titan. I remember Ara and Vahi flew me out to one of their first events back in 2016, 2017. And we were at Vahi's house and I was meeting them and met so many great people. So having that kind of credibility from having such trauma, you know, I really feel like I have a purpose and my purpose is the home service industry and to provide as much value as I can uh, and, and change as many lives because ultimately it's changed my life too and changed my family's life. So that's what it's all about. Go back to the time at Frank A. You were there for how long? Four years. And then he sold to private. Four years. Yeah. We took him from 14 million to 30 million. You know, it took a team obviously to do that, but it, you know, we're all you know, equally as important. We're just a cog in the system, right? And then uh, Alpine Investors out of San Francisco, they have their Apex Home Service Division. They came and bought them out after 44 years in business, gave him a deal he couldn't refuse. So Frank Gay, he's retired now. Yeah, tell, tell us the story about flying out. Well, Patrick McKenzie, who was there at the time, he was there, I believe, vice president of sales, or he was really high up in the enterprise sales and Service Titan's big thing was, you know, they prospect clients that they want based on the size, especially back then. You know, they were only a 200 million evaluated company, maybe 300 million evaluated company. So they were trying to grow and they really wanted large enterprises, you know, 100 plus trucks. So I remember getting a call one day from their team, and I believe it was Patrick, it was actually Patrick McKenzie that called me. 
And he said, look, uh, you know, we want y'all really bad. And, you know, just to show you that we want you, we're going to send you two plane tickets and put you up in a hotel and uh, wine and dine you, basically. But we want you and Frank to come. So I went to Frank and Frank's like, no, I don't I don't want to go. Just you go, you know, and then report back to me. So I went out there. Uh, they took care of me and I was able to meet Ara and Vahi. And I remember I remember Ara, Patrick, a few other of their execs. After the event, they flew over to Orlando because it was Jim Abrams farewell event in Orlando. And they were they happened to be in Orlando. So they're like, hey, man, can we link up and follow up with Frank? I'm like, that'd be amazing. Come by the office because, you know, Frank was very old school. He was on Field Edge ESC, like ESC, the old school stuff. And he was very right. he did not he did not want uh, automated dispatch software. He did not want that. He'd rather go out and hire more people to fill those roles. So when he sold private equity, ultimately they did bring in Service Titan, but he was very firm when they came by the office. But I remember Ara comes into the office and uh, we went out to lunch and I had him in my car driving, man. Like the fact that I had Ara in my car driving with me, it still tickles. <laughs> and you were the customer and he was the salesperson. It, was, it still tickles me to this day, man, that I had a now he runs a multi-billion dollar company, a unicorn. He was a unicorn back then, but man, just to think about that, it's like, how lucky am I? How fortunate am I to have those kind of experiences? You know, God is good, brother. Did parts of that experience motivate you to do what you're doing now? 100,000%. 100,000%. Yeah. Now, I would have loved to go work for Service Titan out in California. And, I, and, right. and you know, a part of me at that time feels like I, I probably could have. Sure. You know, but I wasn't entertaining those kind of conversations. I was so sold on Frank Gay. Frank Gay told me I have a forever home here. Right. And that was my everything. So when he sold and I got out of there probably a few months before he sold, you know, he let me know. And, you know, you know, I, I got out of there. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, and then I went to another great company, a hundred million dollar company, even bigger than Frank Gay. You know, it, it definitely motivated me having a guy like Ara, being able to to speak to him, you know, off record, getting so much good advice from him. It really gave me that assurance that, all right, I'm in the right, I'm in the right industry. I'm doing what I should be doing. And at the time, were you still pretty focused on the function of kind of in-house SEO or how did your skill set evolve as you went to a hundred million dollar company and what did that look like? Yeah, I'm, I'm a strong believer that in-house SEO is the best, but just because I was doing it in-house doesn't mean I wasn't outsourcing different things. Sure. But mainly having that kind of control over the outcome of your SEO campaign is what I, I, I preach. So even when I went to the $100 million company, ultimately I had even more hats when I was over at that company because the bigger you are, the more problems there are and the more leakage that there is. And there's the more things that have to be fixed from an analytical perspective. And, you know, that's really what drives me is when I see a problem, I have to fix it. So although I went to that company as their marketing guy, their SEO, I barely did SEO because there was bigger fish to fry. And that's when I fell into outbounding and customer retention and open estimates because I realized, holy smokes, you know, when you acquire and you have all of these acquisitions 
you know, what are you going to do with their existing customer bases? Are you just going to send them some mailers and hope that they call you, letting them know, hey, you know, we just bought such and such company, call us. Doesn't really work like that. So, you know, that's when I realized, okay, profitability at Frank Gay being a one location shop just in Orlando versus a $100 million company serving 12 states or, or 12 cities in five states is totally different story when it comes to profitability. You know, so that's one thing that I focused on is, okay, how can we, you know, get a maximum amount of bookings at a lower cost per acquisition, right? And that's when, and that's when we, you know, perfected the outbound. I wasn't exposed to these things, right? I didn't know that these were problems that I had to fix. Didn't know. So, you know, I had to commercialize this. And that's really where Stellar was born, was out of the, the, the pain points from other companies I work for and the solutions we built for them. I had to commercialize that and help as many CEOs as I could. And that's what we're doing. So where did you start as you were transitioning from kind of leading efforts around SEO and being found to transitioning to more of an offensive mindset of outbound and going in and trying to, you know, fill the board and, and reduce seasonality, which we'll talk about. What were some of the first steps? What, what was in your bag of tricks as you built that at a multi-state company? Well, the biggest thing is the software and the efficiency behind it. You know, obviously SEO is very important. You know, when it comes to organic traffic, you you want to be the the top of Google for the biggest metro in your in your target market. But that's really secondary. It's not going to move the needle. It's not going to pack the board for twelve locations every single day, so you can be at a hundred percent call capacity. I mean, that's really the nuts and bolts is call capacity. So that 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 was the biggest problem every single day was call capacity, call capacity, call capacity. And the only way that you can fix call capacity is with volume outbound calling to an existing base, uh, reactivating customers that you haven't seen in over a year. You're sitting on gold. If you have customers in your database that you haven't called, you're sitting on gold. So uh, we just started doing it. We got the best software. My buddy works at Gartner, which is the number one software research company in the world based out of uh, Fort Myers, Florida. And I said, look, what's the best contact support software? I know y'all have a magic quadrant award for that. And he's like, yeah, we do. It's five, nine. So we went out, we got five, nine, very expensive, but you get, what you, you get what you pay for. And, and, and we just started focusing on scaling the, the team in house and it, it works. All I can say is it works from an open estimate perspective, closing open estimates over a month old to making sure your call capacity is at minimum 80% every day, you know, that you have to do outbound. And I'm a strong believer in the data supports it, that 80% of your booking should come off of outbound, you know, and there are companies out there that I've spoken to where they've, they have very little inbound calls, all of their booking. I'm talking big companies where the majority of their bookings come from them calling their customers versus the opposite. And I just feel like that's the white glove way of doing things. You want to always stay top of mind with your customers. You never know when they'll need you. I hear people talking about outbounding and I've heard a couple of responses. One is that it's much harder than it looks. Yeah. And two, you know, software as a part of it, there's a physical component of it, whether it's in-house or call center or using an agency. What are some of the things that people misunderstand about 
outbound and where do they get it wrong and why isn't it just baked into every company like the other process like inbound well the biggest thing is, is people definitely say it's harder than it is but it's really not mm-hmm. you know mark cuban so mark cuban very early on mark cuban had an app called cyberdust mm-hmm. and he still has it so if you want to talk to mark cuban you have to download his app called cyberdust you have to put your profile photo and fill out your bio and then he'll send you a message guaranteed mm-hmm. but those are his requirements you got to fill out your profile on his app so i remember downloading this app when i was you know 14 15 years old having heard that that's how you can talk to mark cuban the billionaire dallas maverick software uh, owner and uh, i remember sending him a message and i'm like mark you went to college uh, university of indiana for business but somehow you went from there into software development and became one of the baddest software developers. You didn't go to college for computer science. How'd you pivot that fast and become so good? And I remember he sent me a very simple message back. He said, just do it. And that's always stuck with me. Yeah. You know, I didn't even, I didn't even send him anything else back. I just went and started doing sweat equity, just putting in the work. You know, 10,000 hours, you're a professional at something. I'm a strong believer in that. So, you know, when my friends were out doing their homework, I was building websites. And although my teachers thought I was crazy, you know, look, I had a C average in school. I wasn't the brainiac getting an A average. I can crush it on a written essay, though, but that was only a small percentage of your grade. But I was, you know, monetizing websites and driving traffic and arguably making what they're making a year in their class, so to speak. So very early, I said, all right, this is what I have to be doing. So when it came to pivoting into outbounding, just do it and figure it out. Luckily, the $100 million company that I was with has some extremely powerful visionaries that run the ship. So by no means did I innovate this or or, or create this. I did not do that. They did not even innovate it. But they're innovators, naturally. So when they, when they see an outbound, they know how to make it even better. They're not trying to recreate the wheel. They're just trying to make the wheel more efficient and to, and the best it can be. So, you know, I'm thankful for them. You know, I have their blessings with Stellar. They know I'm the best. So they vouch for me. They, they refer business my way, but more importantly, they're always there for me because now that I'm in an owner position, I no longer work for them. I now have new questions that I didn't know that I didn't know about sure. with, with the new experiences and, 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 and the, and the revenue increases, you know, week over week, you know, that comes with different questions that I have to ask. So it's having that, it really goes a long way, but it's not harder than it looks. It's just, most people don't do it. And why do most home service companies fail at this in-house because they have a dispatcher or a CSR that does five or six other things trying to do outbound. And unfortunately, Outbound is a full-time job. If you're going to do outbound, that's all they have to be doing all day. Not fielding tech calls, not doing invoicing, ARAP, not dispatching guys. Outbound, because it's a numbers game. It's a numbers game. Maybe the last hour of the day is where they get all their bookings. In the first six hours, you know, they didn't get any. So it's a numbers game. But most companies fail because they, they, they fail to dedicate someone and the ones that have too many hats end up resenting outbounding because it's a it's a thorn in their side. Sure. 
So that's why they fail. And all we do is outbound, <laughs> you know, and open estimates. So that's really our core product. And, you know, I have over 80 agents that eat, sleep and breathe this and they get paid very well. Where are your agents located? I know that's more of a tactical question, but. Uh, we have we have a location in the Midwest with a bunch of agents and we have remote agents as well. And then here in Florida as well. So we're spread out. We don't have any on the West Coast right now, but it's OK because, you know, we're still able to serve our West Coast clients. My agents will gladly work until the evening times and probably half of our clients are on the West Coast and they're crushing it. So we don't have any West Coast agents right now. I maybe we'll get an office on the West Coast one day, but it's it's not in the plan right now. You were, this reminds me of a, a meme I recently saw from a software company that said, cold calling isn't dead. It's just the cold part that's dead. When you do a consultation for a contractor, so let's say they're in Illinois and you plop in there, they're not doing any outbound. What is that? What does that process look like? What does the onboard, what does that ramp up period look like? How do you take an organization from just handling inbound bookings to becoming an outbound machine? Man, that's a great question. So the first thing that we that we look for is we make sure they're even a good match. Yeah. You know, not every company can handle an influx in bookings. So the first thing we ask is how many technicians do you have in the field? That way I can get an idea of what their full capacity is. And then I ask them, okay, is three calls or four calls a day full capacity for you? 90% of companies run four calls a day if they're in the HVAC space. Electricians may run three calls a day. Uh, and some HVAC companies run three a day because they spend a little longer on their calls. So once we get that number, we times it by the amount of technicians that they have. And that gives us our uh, their full capacity. So that's our KPI for the day. Got it. Then we build a, uh, a capacity sheet for that company and we build our formulas into it. That way, my 80 plus agents growing every day know what the framework is for the client that they're representing. So they know, OK, I can't overbook them. Mm-hmm. Now, once I have all that ironed out, we always go in at half capacity. We never want to give them full capacity because then they don't have room for the inbound demand calls that come in throughout the day. Right. So we come in at half capacity for them, which, you know, I would assume that they can get another 50% capacity on their inbound calls. If not, then we ramp it up to 60, 70% that we commit to them. And how we're able to commit to them is we ask them, all right, for clients you haven't seen in over a year, how many do you have? And if they don't know that number, I say, okay, well, how many in your database total? And, you know, if they tell me, oh, I got 5,000 in my service Titan, well, we know that we'll get around 1,500 bookings out of that, you know, over the period of us outbounding those customers, not all of them are going to answer at the same time. We don't want to beat up the customer base, but we know over the period of that year, we'll get around 1,500 appointments out of that. So, you know, we divide that by their daily capacity, half capacity that we're committing. And that tells us roughly how many days we have allocated for bookings, which allows them to go out. A lot of times it blows their mind that they're like, holy smokes, you have that many bookings, that many days. I'm going to pull back on some other vendors that have a higher cost per booking and I'm not as high of a profitability, right? Sure. So that's really what we do. And then we just program it into our system. We make sure all the non-disclosure agreements are signed. 
We make sure we have our logins and we make sure they're at 100% capacity every day. If I see that their board, we're giving them 50% of their capacity and their boards are still light, you know, our account managers call them and say, look, we can see that your inbound calls are not filling the gap. So do you want us to send 70, 75%? So that way you could be at 100% capacity. Because if you're a home service business owner, all you should be focused on is making sure every one of your vehicles gets into the maximum amount of houses allocated per day, every single day of the working year. Otherwise you're doing a disservice to you and your employees. You know, you should always make sure your guys have enough calls to not only put money on their table, but to also drive the bottom line. So we really focus on that. We paint the picture very clear for these business owners. And a lot of the times they did not even do this. If I tell them, look, what capacity are you running every day right now? They'll just give me some random guess. Oh, 60, 70%. And it's typically a lot lower than that. Sure. Or sometimes it's higher than that. So that's how we do it. It seems so common sense. And if you talk to contractors, which you do and I do every day, it's one of the biggest problems aside from hiring and recruiting, but it's managing your staff with the seasonality of the supply and demand, plain and simple. And you're telling me that with a clear, concise outbound strategy, you can fill those gaps. Seasonality is no longer an issue. Yeah. And, you know, if their customer base is a little light, let's say they're a newer company, they've only been around for a year or two, but they have a good amount of technicians, at least two, three technicians, then we have our own data scientist on staff. We can get our own data and we can outbound a cold base and, and book new customers on their board as well. So our new customer acquisitions is extremely lower than most lead vendors. And we do that on purpose. And one good thing about us, Paul, and I know I'm not on here to sell necessarily, but okay. we don't charge for canceled appointments. You know, I've been in-house at these companies. I know that there are cancels. And what better way to be a vendor than to understand that and to not charge for those cancels? You know, I want to be around for years and years to come. So being that extension for them, you know, we're, we find they really appreciate that. So people bring you on for two primary functions. One, curating, going through their existing customer base, whatever that looks like, and then cold outreach. So new customers, people they've not been in touch with. Can you give me an example of what an outreach plan would look like for existing customers? Are you just calling and saying, you have a script that says, hey, you've not had your tune up. I mean, explain what that might look like and then give someone some advice on how to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So it depends on the trade. So we do it for plumbing, air conditioning, and electrical. I hope to get into pest control, uh, garage doors, and roofing next year, as well as solar. Mm -hmm. But at the, at the present time, the majority of our clients are HVAC. Now, I don't want to give away any of my you know secrets, sure. but what I will say is uh, we do do a non-intrusive filter reminder. Not changing your filter is one of the leading causes of AC failure due to air restrictions. Did you need any help this month, Julie, changing your filter or with your filter size? No, I'm all right. Thank you. All right, Julie, no problem at all. I can see that the last technician that was out at your property, he did go ahead and put on your account and then whatever the offer is. And, and what we find is that, you know, depending on if the agent is smiling while they dial, we get really good results out of this because we're doing two things. We're reactivating that client with brand recognition 
right? Because we say, hey, Julie, this is Tevin calling with such and such heating and air. So we're doing that brand recognition, drilling those dendrites into their brain. So that way, when something does break, who are they going to call? They're going to call the guy who just called them. So we're doing that. And then obviously we go into getting them back out there, getting that customer reactivated. A lot of hedge funds uh, that you know use me because they own HVAC companies. They tell me, they say, look, man, uh, you know, when we buy these companies, you know, one of the first things we ask is, you know, how many clients in their database are, ha- have they seen in the last 18 months? Because that's what they correlate as active customers. Sure. People you've seen in the last 18 months. So what we're doing for these companies is drastically increasing their acquisition value for private equity. You know, imagine if you have 50% active customers in your database how much more valuable you'd be than having 10%, which is the going standard. Last 18 months, most companies have seen 10% of people in their database because they're only focusing on new customers, new customers, new customers. They're forgetting about the people that they were out to a year ago or two years ago or three years ago. And that's very important. So what does new customer outreach look like? Uh, It's really the same thing. The only difference is because they maybe have never heard the brand or maybe they've seen the brand because we deal with a lot of household names in cities. It's the same thing. So uh, we have a proprietary system that daily checks the do not call list because we don't want to break any laws. We have over 4 million data providers that we get our data from. So, you know, we're the real deal when it comes to data science. I have some phenomenal people on board. So what what we do is we reach out to these people and we educate them on the company, letting them know we're a local electrical company, local plumber, local heating and air conditioning company. And as a way of getting our name out, you know, we're offering such and such and we get really good responses out of that. Obviously, it's going to be a lower book rate than your existing customers because they know the brand. But it really doesn't matter because even if I book 10 percent new customers, if I call a thousand people, that's still 100 what does your ideal customer look like? You mentioned earlier, you know, seeing if you were even, if a customer would even be a good fit or, or qualified to even work with you, but describe your ideal client should they be listening. So the ideal client will be someone who has uh, really no cap on their capacity where they can handle as many calls as I can give them. That's really our ideal client. And we have a few of them. We have a few of them that have systems to scale. They constantly have people in, in, in either tech training or tech university. They always have new bodies coming on board uh, and there's no cap. It's just send us however many you can send. That's obviously the most ideal client, but those are far and few between. The majority of our clients are your five to 10 truck operations. And all we ask is that they, uh, is that they have decent sales processes. You know, we've had clients come on board and we book too many calls for them, even though it's their requested capacity. It just turns out being too much for them because maybe they have some management issues that they have to figure out. And now we, 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 they were going 30 miles per hour on cruise control, but now they're going 130 miles per hour down the highway in a split second. So that can cause a lot of stuff to break and implode. And that's what we find happens. You know, they don't expect us to do such a killer job. They, they just, you know, end up pausing and, and, and not turning back on. And I'm sure. sure they will eventually. That's the beauty of us is you can pause, resume. That's totally fine. But, you know, it is 
disappointing because I see so much potential with them. You know, we have clients where I know if they would just figure out, figure it out, they would make millions off of our bookings because they have, because their customers are so nice. Like we have some companies where their customers are just so nice. I'm not going to say any states, but there are some states where the customers are just very, you know. They answer the phone. They're glad to hear from you. Glad you called. But some states are the complete opposite. Now, I will say Arizona. Those are some of the roughest people. Like Arizona, because it's a melting pot. Florida is kind of similar. But Arizona is a big melting pot. You have some of everything. And those people... uh, we have a lot of Arizona companies, so don't get it twisted. You know, we do a killer job in Arizona, but the people are very rough, just like Vegas. Vegas, those people are uh, brutal, but, you know, I love them the same as everyone else. But, you know, they're just cut different. That's interesting. I can't really even draw a correlation as to why other than it's a super competitive market and it's super hot and there's a ton of contractors. But that that's just my guess because everyone in Arizona that I know is Midwestern. I bet it has to do with the heat. It feels like when you, when you take the, when you <laughs> sure. take the cookies out of the oven and there's that burst of heat on your face, but it's like that all day. So I would be upset too. I mean, yeah. that's why I chose not to work in Arizona. You know, I heard stories about how it makes your steering wheel melt if you forget to put it in the garage. Like that freaks me out. So that's why I came to Florida. We have to deal with the humidity, but you know, it for the most part we don't have extortiating heat. <laughs> sure. There's, there's definitely trade-offs. I was actually, I spent a lot of time in Arizona and I was driving with someone and I looked at a car dealership and I was like, every single car is white. And they were like, yeah, you don't want to have a black car in Arizona and just draw more heat in. Um, exactly. Talk to me about what you're doing to help customers. I mean, you mentioned capacity and being limited by your customer's capacity. And I know in a, another conversation, you talked to me about recruiting is recruiting something that you're seeking to have an influence and an impact on as well with Stellar? Oh yeah. So recruiting, we just launched our recruiting pro, which is phenomenal. Uh, we're really taking the recruiting industry by, by storm in my opinion, just because my product I think is unrivaled. Uh, and I'll tell you what it is. So every company I've worked at, you know, recruiting has always been something that I helped with, but there's no innovation to the recruiting industry as of yet. You know, it's always been your Indeed, your your career builder, Monster, or your Facebook recruiting campaigns, right? Post a job on Facebook. But here's the thing. I think we can both agree that the people that have time to scroll Facebook or to look for a job or to go on Indeed and look for a job probably got let go from their prior job or don't have that much experience. So, you know, you just have to think of the intent of that person. You know, why does Indeed have such a low quality conversion for home service companies? I mean, I hear this time and time again, I'm spending five, 10,000 a month on Indeed just because I have to, I got to keep, you know, my recruiting division busy with applicants, but it's like one out of a thousand, you know, actually work out, right? Some people may get better results, but when it comes to hiring technicians, installers, comfort advisors, you don't want people off Indeed. When it comes to dispatchers, CSRs, sure, you know, phenomenal people have come off of Indeed for that. But technicians and technical guys, someone's going to make sure they don't leave. Someone's got them tied down if they're good. So how do you get these people? Well, 
you know, you can go to the trade shops and hang around and, and do that sleazeball way, which, you know, some people do that. They send their guys to hang out at the, you know, at, at Goodman, right? Sure. And you might get a couple people here and there to do that, to jump ship. But typically they're going to say, no, you know, that's just a, that's just a, a, a wrong way of doing it. So what we do is we really analyze the recruiting industry. We said, okay, where is the intent different? Where's the intent different? And that's when we noticed that LinkedIn, the intent on LinkedIn is is twofold. So one, it's a networking tool. So no one's going to be upset when you reach out to them. And two, it's a self-branding tool. So the people that are on LinkedIn, they care about their image and they care about their career. So the intent behind that individual is high quality, white glove level. Sure. These, If you're a white glove company, you want someone who took the time to build a LinkedIn profile. So my developers developed a uh, a tool a bolt-on to the linkedin uh, sales navigator framework which the linkedin sales navigator framework basically think of it like uh, having access to you know facebook's uh, dashboard for running ads you know of that nature but you can also build your own software and attach to it and do api pulls and things like that so we developed a software where we can layer in different job titles companies they worked for, how many years they worked there, what city they live in. And we have all of that granular level data that we can then put into a city and pull every single individual that matches that criteria. And what we do, and I'm totally fine letting the whole world know this, because if someone wants to go build it, that's fine. I encourage that because then we're, we're, we're moving the industry forward. So I encourage, you know, other recruiting companies that may be listening to this, go out and do it. That's fine. You know, I hope you catch up to us because, you know, it took us a while to build it. But um, what we're what we're able to do is plug in a CEO or a high level executive into our, our software that has a LinkedIn account and we start outreaching these people. So we're pursuing their like their their ideal avatar. We're pursuing these individuals. And once they reply, it pulls into our custom dashboard that organizes everything with their name, their phone number, their email, the date of the appointment that they want for the interview. And they're able to communicate directly back with that person from our dashboard. And we're seeing phenomenal results. You know, people are saying things like, wow, it's not every day the owner of a company, you know, reaches out to me directly. You know, I'd love to set up an interview. When are you available? You know, it's having that Maybe the only reason they want to switch companies, it may not be the pay, but maybe it's the culture. Or maybe it's the culture is great, but the pay is not that great. Or maybe it's both is not that great, but they're just sticking there because they have to pay their bills and they don't like bouncing around job to job. So there's all these different variables that play into, you know, why they're replying back to a CEO or a president or or director. And we're seeing phenomenal results. So the difference between us and other companies, we pursue people. We do not run ads and have people scrolling social media when they should be on a job site making money for a company, right? So that's what makes us different. And we're and we're getting phenomenal results for the trades. Good. So you went off on your own. You're growing your own company. You're gaining some traction. You're getting popular. People are starting to understand what you do. There's obviously a need in the market for what you do. At one point, you're riding shotgun with Service Titan, and now you look at them and they're an $18 billion company or whatever they are. 
20, I think. Yeah, right. We Not 18. If you zoom out and think about where you want to take this company, but really I want to keep in perspective the 18, 19 year old kid who had to, you know, shoulder the burden of taking care of a family. Where do you view the future of this company as it fits into that, the narrative, that the arc in your career in life? Absolutely. So I want to take the company public one day or, you know, do a SPAC, you know, something similar or maybe sell private equity. But, you know, because we're a software play, uh, software companies, they trade at a very high EBITDA, a very high multiple of EBITDA. So, you know, I, I really want to take this company public one day, ring the bell on the New York Stock Exchange. You know, that'd be a life goal of mine. I want to be the service titan of the home service industry. So, you know, maybe service titan will buy me one day. Uh, or maybe I'll take the company public, but I have big dreams, man. Uh, you know, I want to build foundational wealth for my family, generational wealth. You know, I haven't seen a lot of my family members in years because I'm so laser focused on doing what I'm doing. I know they're well taken care of, but eventually I want to, you know, I want to be that, that true patriarch of our family. You know, I feel like I'm my uncle 20 years earlier. Yeah. You know, I feel like I, I feel like I could run laps around my uncle and, you know, that's what he would want. He would want that. He does want that. So although he struck first and he built that massive wealth for himself, it's just timing. It's just because of the time. And my times, my time will come. You know, I think I still have a long journey to go. I'm nowhere near where I want to be. Are you even 30 years old yet? I just turned 26 a week ago. Unbelievable. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> don't feel like I'm talking to a 26 year old. I want to be Forbes 30 under 30, man. Good. Well, I hope the change your filter podcast is, is one step toward it is that notoriety and, and fame. I don't want the fame. I just want, I just want to help a lot of people and get the recognition and have my team get the recognition they deserve. And with that comes accolades, you know, having worked for the hundred million dollar company, I was able to learn, you know, accolades go a long way. And those owners have some of the, 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 some, some massive accolades that I would love to have, you know, Forbes, you know, South Florida, 40 under 40. These are all things I want. You know, it's not so much I want to be, you know, I want to be the most famous guy. I don't want that at all. You know, but what I do want is I want to build a massive company and have the world know about it. Absolutely. Who do you most admire in this industry? So. I commented that uh, I commented on a post about a month ago from a gentleman who is just blowing up in the in the uh, self storage space. He's actually friends with Jamie White or Wait. I'm not sure how to say his last name with AC Hero. Okay, I forget the gentleman's name. He's out of uh, Minnesota. I forget the state that he's out of. Utah, maybe. Long story short. I've been looking up to this guy and I commented on his thing that I, I, I truly admire you. And he said, don't admire me, admire yourself. And I really thought about that. And I agree with him. I agree with him completely. You know, so when it comes to who do I admire most in this industry, myself, but when it comes to who do I look up to, who do I seek out for mentorship? Everybody, man. There's so much I'm green. I'm green in so many areas. It'll blow your mind. I know I, I know I'm good in certain areas. That's my value add. That's how I got to this level. You have to have a value add. That's one thing I learned. 
Why do people go to college? It's so they can get a value add at a company after college. That's why. But I knew early on that marketing degrees in college are dated. They're not teaching digital marketing. You will never have a digital marketing professor making what a self-made internet entrepreneur is making. So I knew very quickly that I would rather learn from the uh, self-made internet entrepreneurs that have 10 Ferraris in their garage. Not because they care about having Ferraris, but because they can't. They can afford it. So that's who I, I seeked out those people. You know, the Stephen Floyds, the Ty Lopez. Stephen Floyd does the SEO for Ty Lopez. You know, the Cotton Grammars who does, you know, digital marketing for, you know, $100 million law firms. You know, these are the people that I seeked out earlier in my career. But as I started growing in home service, now I seek out, you know, people like, uh, Ken Goodrich for his, you know, I watch Ken Goodrich's videos and listen to his stuff. I listen to Ken Bull's videos with Service Today. He's got his own uh, self-brand. I listen to Louis Bruno's stuff. I listen to, you know, uh, Dustin Miller's stuff, Victor Rancor, Landon Brewer. You know, there's so many good people in the industry. Gary Singleton, you know, one of my biggest influences with Max Air out of Dallas. Jacob and and, and Joseph G in Gainesville, Georgia. I mean, there's so many people that I look up to and seek advice from. But when it comes to who do I admire, ever since that guy called me out on that, I got to admire myself, man. I love it. Good good answer. So I'm going to bring this back down to, we're going to kind of land the plane here back to the tactical stuff. Pricing, you know, you mentioned cost per bookings and cost per new customer acquisition being competitive, if not better. What's your pricing model look like and how, how would people expect to pay you for filling their board? Yeah. So currently our pricing is between 50 to $90 per booking. Yep. Fixed rate every time. You know, that's one good thing about us. We don't sell leads. We sell bookings. So it's between 50 to $90 per booking, depending on if it's existing or new. And we don't charge for canceled appointments. And we bill weekly, monthly, quarterly. We have packages for, you know, all sizes with discounts and things of that nature. So it's really a, you know, we like to tailor it for each each company differently. The 50 to $90 range is 50 for an existing customer, 90 for a new customer, a correct. Yeah. So 50. Okay. So the lower, the lower end is for existing, the higher end is for new. And it it all depends on volume, Paul. If I got a yeah. company that like we have clients that they know what we're about. So they buy a court, they buy three months worth of bookings up front. Sure. And when they get and they and they obviously get a better price than a company doing week by week billing. Got it. Okay. Well, one, thank you so much for your time. I'm I kind of lost track of time and space when you told me you were 26 because I'm like, how old am I doing when I was 26? <laughs> it wasn't this. But more importantly, how can people connect with you and reach out to you? What does that look like? Yeah, I'd say the best way to reach out to me is probably Facebook uh, or LinkedIn. Said like a 26-year-old. No, they're not saying Facebook, bro. Uh, you're right. Good point. Yeah, they're not saying I'm, I am I feel like I'm 45, man, honestly. You know, I feel like I'm 45. Whenever people yeah. see me, normally I have a suit on. You know, I I remember Anthony Pereira came into the office one day and he's like, you dress like this every day. Does he dress like this every day, guys? They're like, yeah. 
but that's just how I like to carry myself. That's that's how Frank Gay had an impact on me is always come ready so you don't got to get ready. And that's just how I how I operate mentally. So most people think I'm 35 because of the way I carry myself. And that's how I like it. You know, but I don't hide the fact that I'm 26. I know 21 year olds that work, that run multi-million dollar companies, software companies. So those are the people sure. I look up to. You know, age is just a number these days. Louis Bruno was 25 running a, you know, eight figure HVAC company. Yeah. You know, his comeback story is going to be ones for the books, ones for the ages. So I'm super excited about that. But same, there's tons of young guns in the industry. Matt Vitti, he started his company three years ago when he was in his mid 20s. Look at him now crushing it. So age is just a number these days. He's a client of ours at Contractor Commerce. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, man. I think Ish made a post recently saying, don't go off of how long people have been in the industry. That doesn't exist anymore. Go off of their knowledge and their experience. And that's just a fact. I still look at elders for advice because they they, they have certain life experiences that you only get with age. But me and you can both agree that due to technology, you can now start a home service company with the right branding, pricing, vision, processes. And within three years, have 30, 40 million in revenue which before all of these advances in the trades, man, it took Frank Gay 44 years in business just to hit 30 million. But I know if he, but now look where they're taking his company. They're blowing it up with technology. So yeah, man. I agree with you. I I do think there is a balance. There are, you know, history repeats itself. And there are a lot of timeless lessons that as I look at some folks who are 30, 40 years in the trade and different leadership positions, contracting and wherever else, um, they've got some lessons that need to be shared and documented before they sail off into the sunset. So we'll be doing some of that here on Change Your Filter too. It's balancing the 26-year-old Tevins of the world and uh, like my friend Steve Wood, who's going to come on in a couple of weeks, probably air a couple of weeks after this episode. But thank you again for your time. I did cut you off. You said that the best way for someone to get a hold of you is Facebook um, or through the website. You want to drop a little more contact information? Facebook or LinkedIn to get a hold of me. We're getting slammed right now with companies that want to sign up. So we're really cherry picking and making sure that it's a good fit, you know, just so we don't uh, have a churn and burn model. You know, I really want to focus on customer fulfillment. So if you if you feel like your company is a good fit, reach out to me on Facebook or LinkedIn or shoot me a text message, which Paul would be happy to give you. So you can reach out to Paul and he'll shoot you over my phone number. Thank you so much for your time. I've only known you for a week. I'm already inspired. And like I started the show, I mentioned that I'm obsessed with startups and founders and watching people take kind of ideas into courage, into kind of commercial success. And so I've got a front row seat. I'm going to watch you be successful. And any way we can help you here at Contractor Commerce or, or the Change Your Filter podcast, we'd love to do that. So listeners, thank you. If you've made it this long, please reach out to Tevin. And it's common sense. Outbound's the name of the game. Everybody's talking about it. Very few people are doing anything about it. But most importantly, if you've made it this far and you're enjoying this podcast, Please go to wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever else you can listen to podcasts, find the Change Your Filter podcast and leave us a review. Drop Tevin's name and we'll put a little gift in the mail for you. So thank you so much, listeners. Until next time. This episode, like all episodes, is brought to you by Contractor Commerce, plug and play online stores for contractors. We see a future where every contractor has an online store.